Fast Money starts right now, live from the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lee. Your traders on the desk are Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, Dan Nathan, and Guy Dami. We start with a huge night for earnings. Amazon, the big one after our slightly higher right now. Intel, Ford, Starbucks, T-Mobile also reporting moments ago as we gear up for those conference calls. We've got full team coverage on Amazon. Deirdre Bosa is out in Los Angeles. And uh, Gene Munster, a Fast Money friend, is in Minneapolis. They are both getting ready to jump in on this conference call, which starts at 5.30. We'll check in with Gene in just a few moments. But first, we start off with Intel. That chip stock getting crushed after hours. Let's go straight to Josh Lipton for the details. Josh. So, you know, Melissa, listen, chips had been on a tear heading into this earnings season and obviously something you guys have hit a lot, the SMH. Now they're starting to see these earnings reports and commentary from from Texas Instruments, from Xilinx uh, and now Intel. And and here uh, I want to just dig quickly into the business segment, CCG business, chips for PCs, um, $8.6 billion. That was a bit better than expected. That DCG business, though, uh, so chips for servers, that was $4.9 billion. That was down 6% and that did miss estimates. I just caught up quickly uh, with Stiefel's Kevin Cassidy. He would say that was the big number to him in this report because it's Intel's most profitable business line, because that business segment uh, should have the most long-term uh, potential growth. Cassidy says it looks to him like those big cloud companies just aren't spending still as much on those uh, server chips uh, as they wait to see if they require uh, additional capacity. The guidance here was also disappointing. Uh, finally, I just want to uh, bring up today in some headlines. We're getting to Dow Jones from Intel CEO Bob Swan. Remember, Intel did exit that smartphone, uh, that 5G smartphone modem business. Uh, Intel CEO is now saying um, that they did decide to exit that business because of that uh, Apple Qualcomm deal, that um, Intel could not see a path to profit on those 5G modems after uh, Cook and Malenkov reached that deal, that Intel is now exploring what to do with that IP and employees. Um, Despite the modem exit, he's saying uh, he still sees opportunities in 5G networking Interesting, Melissa, because when they made that exit, you actually saw the stock pop because some analysts thought, listen, it's a good thing they're getting out of this lower margin business. Though it's interesting, um, you know, some weren't so sure. I checked in with uh, Cowan's Matt Ramsey, who also covers this name. He got those arguments, but he also said, did that raise a certain red flag for Intel investors that this company uh, just couldn't execute on a business line outside of their core operations? Um, I'm sure we'll probably get some questions for this on the conference call. That is starting uh, right now, and I'll be on it. Guys, back to you. That is an interesting take, given the, the reaction in the stock that day when they did exit that business. The stock was up. Thanks, Josh. I'll check in with you a little bit later on. So what's wrong with Intel here? Is this a chip problem? Is this an Intel problem? And uh, this is all important because we're, st- we're staring at an SMH close to record highs at this point. Guys. Well, it's clear Dan has a view because I, I can see him. He's chomping, chomping at the, at bit, the and bit. And he's going to have his opportunity to yell at me and make fun of me. But I think this is a chip problem. And I say that because you go back in here. What Micron said a month or so ago, I'm surprised at how well that stock traded in the aftermath. But then you look at Texas Instruments a few nights ago, which I thought was miserable. The stock price action was pretty good in the wake of it, but I still thought that was a disaster. And now you look at Intel, and Josh mentioned it. Data sent is about 30% or so of revenues for this quarter. Units were down 17% quarter over quarter, 8% year over year, and average selling price down 4% quarter over quarter, basically flat year over year. That's a slowing business. Now, you'll say valuation is compelling. It is. But they guided lower in the wake of Texan, in the wake of Micron. You could throw Xilinx in there, although I thought that quarter was very good. And you're saying to yourself, maybe semis have topped out in the short run. Yeah, so to me, it's really about the cycle. And this is what we heard from the CFO of Texas Instruments the other night. They said they're about two quarters into what is normally a five-quarter downtrend in a semi-cycle. So we know that the 
global trade has been a headwind for this industry. We know that there's also been some big secular trends like data center that have also offset some of those headwinds. There was a lot of double ordering in the first half of 2018. We saw some of that come out in 2019. So the fact that Intel comes into the, the two-thirds of the rest of the year or whatever, and they lower their revenue guidance by 3%, I don't think that's such a big deal. But I think it's something that you should expect to happen again, maybe, when they report in July. And this is going to be something that's going to work its way out. So to me, I think the move lower is justified. I think you want to be very careful with the semiconductors, the sort of price action we've seen in a group that has doubled the performance of the S&P 500 year to date should be telling about where we could see other tech sectors follow to the downside. Well, and up 50 percent or 48 percent off that December, that Christmas Eve low um, in in 82 trading sessions. So it's extraordinary. Look, I don't think the the sector's ever seen this kind of a move, but I, I would push back a little bit on Intel. I mean, I... You know, I don't think this stock should be reacting the same way a high multiple chip stock should be reacting. Look, the reason Intel, I think, is a choice for many investors is the, the, the quality of their revenue mix and the data-centric kind of move that has become part of their revenue mix means this thing shouldn't be behaving like it's NVIDIA right now, um, especially at the valuation it's at. It was at an 80 RSI, which speaks to the move we've talked about in the overall sector, which means it had to pull back. Um, I'm not saying you have to go in and buy this tomorrow, but of all the chip stocks we talk about, this is the company I want to own. I just wonder, though, is the data-centric focus of their business, right, that people are excited about as an area for growth. I mean, this sort of seems maybe a little bit unique to them, right? You would think that that space is doing better than what they've reflected. So that, that to me, is a little disconcerting, that it's not so much of a, uh, that it's more, more specific to them. So that might be an Intel problem. Yes, I think that, because I think that... But that, it could be a data center problem. So it could be. So, to, right. so here, this is really important. What did we just learn this week? That Apple had cut its... AWS, okay, it's, it's, you know, its usage of AWS in half from 2017 from $770 million to $350 or $60 or something year over year. Right. We might be seeing a flattening out of the growth in data center usage right now. Really? Yeah. But we, even though we got Microsoft results and their and, cloud was great and, and, well, and the, Amazon. Well, first of all, they're, they're, they're a smaller player. They're okay. a distant number two to AWS. We know there's a lot of competition. We know Oracle's in there. We know Google's in there. We know IBM's right, in there. And they're all competing on price. So but that's what, a margin what, issue. It's, I mean, you know, it could be. The implication but, here is that there's something going on in data center that's cyclical with the economy, which is why we're talking about chip stocks. I, I, I agree that there's margin pressure. I think there's, everybody's slating data center or at least you know everything related to the cloud to be the part of their their machine and i think the prices are going down all right but but let's to karen's point let's say there is a concern about intel and how it's doing within data center overall and, and that data centers are all right but intel for some reason is underperforming that and then josh made the point why is it ex- exiting 5g is it because well, intel can't execute on that so is there is there more execution issue to intel than what may seem to be the surface. Well, I numbers. think their exit—it's it, it, no coincidence that they announced their exit from 5G when Qualcomm and Apple yes. made up and went on their merry way. I mean, you see what happens to Qualcomm since then. And I, well, Dan's shaking. I, th- I happen to believe that's a big component of it. I mean, they said at a 5G modem, the market actually liked that because at that, that day, at that, that day, day, because really they're going to focus on higher little, margin businesses. Right. I get it. 
to push back on Tim, and I don't mean to do this, but I'll say this. You, you have seen Intel move like this. You go back just to last year, what was a $43 stock or so in the beginning of the year, traded up to 57 I yep. bring that up because we're topping out now at the same time of the year that we topped out same price-wise last year. I'll just to make the point. Mobile is really important. Why was the stock up that day? Because I think investors who have a memory re- remember the fact that Intel missed the entire mobile thing in the 2000s. Right, so the entire thing. So they were very happy for them not to, you know, not to be there now competing with a that much more, uh, I guess, emboldened Qualcomm. Okay, so what does this mean for chips at this point? I mean, tough day for SMH today on the back of yeah. Xilinx, some other you know, chip stock moves lower. And then today in the after-hour session, we're watching SMH down as well. Yeah, so uh, again, I, I think after the move that we've had, the, the, the jury is still out. I think we've heard kind of a mixed response, uh, as I think has been said already, that the fact that the Texas Instruments traded the way it did after that, that indication of where the quarter is, uh, when I think that semis have actually rebounded in not only a V-shaped fashion, but in a way that, it, that indicates people think that the cycle continues onward. So it's fair to ask the question, you know, who's right? Um, and at this point, I, I, I think the Intel reaction is, is overdone. Yeah. I'm just just quickly looking at AMD. I would have thought it down down 36 cents. Really not a right. And and that begs the question. We're we're talking about chip stocks as a monolith, and chips are very different from each other. In Guy Dami, yeah. you lauded Nick Lowry in the stock draft on Parallel today for picking two chip stocks: Nvidia, Nvidia and AMD. AMD. I did. Yeah. And that's for the next nine months. And I okay. do think he's going to. You know, I think I think he's going to wind up being okay over the next month, nine months. Over the next couple months. There might be some uh, hiccups, and we had a whole we had a whole conversation about that. But I'm not trying to I'm not trying to pay both sides of this fence. What I will say is, Tim's right. Texans traded far better than I shorted would. It should not, though, given what they said. And you go back to Micron and what they said. Micron was asking us, the investing community, to believe in them in the second half. Breaking news. Um, there's more from the Intel CEO on the conference call, which is going on right now. He is saying that Intel is seeing a quote dramatic slowdown in China from business customers. So again, Intel CEO right now saying they're seeing a dramatic slowdown in China. Those are his words from uh, business customers in China. And, and the question is, is it, is it a cyclical slowdown? We know yeah. China's going through a rough patch, or is it a trade slowdown? And, and this is one of the things that I think people will still be challenged by. We're hearing both sides of this China story. In fact, this, this is... Well, hold on. This is a terrible headline. So so, so a couple years ago, Intel paid $17 billion to buy Altera to get into the Internet of Things. They don't want to just be in PCs and servers and mobile devices. They want to be everywhere. China manufactures all of these things, right? So the fact that we are hearing this on April 24th, Four and a half months after Apple told us on January 2nd that China was really bad in the prior three quarters, I just don't think that's great. I've heard tons of stuff over the last couple of weeks about all these green shoots in China, and it's really not confirmed. This is data that we've gotten from China that's telling us things are better as they're negotiating a trade deal. And this is not politics either by them not buying Intel no, chips. There's think, nowhere else to buy these chips. I think it, I think it is. I think you're making a good point. But I, I, I think the, the Made in China 2025 includes exactly going head on. Yes. against what these companies are. And I think that's that's the right point. All right, we want, we'll, we'll keep following Intel and bring you all the headlines as we get them because that conference call, as we mentioned, is going on right now. But we do want to turn to Amazon. It was a big beat on the top and the bottom line. The stock is up less than a percent right now as the conference call kicks off in the next 20 minutes. For more on the quarter, let's bring in Loop Ventures founder and Fast Money friend Gene Munster. Gene, are you convinced that spending is going to be in check or do you think they're going to drop a bomb on this conference call? Melissa, they're going to drop a bomb, and they said last quarter they would enter an investment cycle, and it didn't play out in these March results. But 
it seems like uh, they're going to uh, probably guide some bigger numbers. I'm curious what, what you think or what the panel thinks about that, that set up last quarter. Very odd this quarter. Well, I'll ask Gene. I mean, I think Jeff Bezos told you a couple weeks ago, I mean, he alluded to the fact that, you know, well, spending is coming. And I think he was trying to temper some enthusiasm with the stock. Now, maybe I'm dead wrong, but I'm with you. I'm surprised the stock is behaving the way it is. Obviously, everything is in a conference call. I get it. But I do think he drops a bomb. And I think we're going to be talking about an Amazon without a $1,900 handle mm. in about a half an hour or so, whenever the conference call starts. So, Melissa, what, yeah. Yeah, what this means, I'm, I'm with you, Guy, what this means for numbers is that the street's had a big, uh, I think it's $47 for next year. That number is going to come down. That earnings number is going to come down. So uh, ultimately what you're going to see is a, a revision down. To put it into perspective, the commentary about the June quarter is that the company expects that the operating income is going to be 25% below uh, the midpoint or the, the, the street estimates uh, for the June quarter. Now compare that to last quarter where they guided essentially in line. So this was a measurable uh, a tone that they're sending out. In other words, this big upside that we saw with the earnings, we really have to look past this, Melissa, and start to focus on the other pieces of the business. Some of those are doing exceptionally well, like retail, for example, growing twice as fast as the overall retail. But they're sh showing some signs of some fatigue around law of large numbers. And specifically, is that if you look at uh, the overall unit growth of retail, 10% versus 17% a year ago. When you put all of this together, this is a great company, but entering an investment cycle, which should impact how investors think about the Amazon story over the next year. Gene, it's Karen. So then how do you think about the story specifically? How do you think about the stock here at 1900, given what you think about not just in this quarter or next quarter, but more looking, you know, for a year out, let's say? I think the next year is going to be choppy for Amazon and specifically some uncertainty around this investment cycle that we're talking about. Uh, but and also with what's happening with the, the law of these large numbers, I think investors are going to become progressively more sensitive to the valuation. Now, you could argue that Amazon's always been an expensive story, but there's always been some upside potential in the near term around earnings. I don't think we're going to see that. And when you just step back and look at the valuation of Amazon relative to the other tech giants, it is orders of magnitude bigger. And so um, I think that if you, uh, this is a great story to own if somebody wants to buy it and forget about it for the next five years. But I think investors wanting to really optimize their next year of returns, there's much better places to be than Amazon. Hey, Gene, so I, I, that's the problem here because it's a company that seems to be able to turn it on when they want and people have rewarded that in the past. Where do you want to see operating margins? And again, I, I think you recognize, as you say, that they have to reinvest uh, in the business. But um, at the end of the day, what, what is reasonable to expect, but it, should we expect anything more than we're going to get? Keep in mind this business, uh, yes, it's impacted our lives and we can't live without Amazon. But at the core of it, call it almost 90% of its revenue is really not a great business. Retail in general is not a great business. So when we think about, Tim, the opportunity around margin expansion, it is muted. And they've talked about this theoretical 10% operating margin target. And if you just look at this core retail type of a, a business model, it's difficult to get there. And so I want to be clear, Amazon is going to continue to dominate and change your life. I think it's a great story to own over the, the long haul. But I think for the near term for this to work, valuation needs to be somewhat more reasonable. To get that, you need some more earnings upside. And the opposite is happening. We're entering this 
uh, relatively large investment cycle. We'll see what happens on the call as they kind of uh, step through that. I suspect that will be the first question on the call is, mm -hmm. are we in fact entering this investment cycle? Yep, Gene, a lot of questions there. Gene, we'll check in with you a little bit later on. Um, we should note that Amazon right now is, is to the flat line, so it had been up by a little less than a percent. Uh, where do we go here, Dan? Well, uh, listen, I think that, you know, what he said, the law of large numbers are expected to do $275 billion in sales this year, growing at the slowest pace, 18%, which is still, still astonishing, yeah. okay, but the slowest pace in over a decade. So if you're telling me they're going to start spending and that's going to hurt operating margins, um, you know, that's the problem with a stock at $1,900. I just make one other point. If you look at the tremendous symmetry that we have seen in the S&P 500 from the September highs, right, to the December lows and back now to those prior highs, that's a really nice place, I think, for a lot of investors to take profits. The fact that a stock like Amazon has not shown that same symmetry, has not gotten back to the highs, tells you that there's probably some more consolidation below those levels. I just look at return on invested capital, and I look at, just by chance, Alphabet and Amazon have almost identical return on invested really? capital. However, the valuations are so wildly different. Can't get long Amazon, definitely long Alphabet. You know, to me, this is one of these cases where someone that really does care about valuation is able to say, hey, look, the quarter they just reported, they showed 360 basis points of margin expansion. I think these guys can do it when they want to do it. And I, I think you have much more meaningful and reasonable growth expectations. 18 is not what they used to do. AWS is in a competitive space. But I think they can turn it on and off. These numbers were very good. I'm not worried about the future spend. I agree 100%. The numbers were very good, and they can turn it on and off, and margins have been improving. That, to me, has been the story. But it feels as though for at least a quarter or two, they want to maybe turn it off. And you have to wonder what that means for the stock price bumping up against levels we saw in September 2018. What happens with the, uh, with the NASDAQ, which hit a new high in today's session? We've got headwinds coming from semis, potential headwind here from Amazon, which looks a little weaker in the after-hour session. Um, Intel specifically within the semis trading lower right now? Dan? I would expect a quarter on Monday from Google or Alphabet that looks kind of like this. We're sitting there waiting for the guidance and saying, you know, it's not going back to prior highs. The, uh, you know, these stocks are double the market cap that Facebook that we saw up 10% in the aftermarket last night. You're not going to get that from these sorts of names. You're not going to get that from Apple on Tuesday, I don't think. So to me, I think you've probably seen some highs for the time being, especially when you get the outlook. What Intel CFO just said about China, that is going to reverberate across, I think, the tech uh, investing world. All right. We're about 12 minutes away from Amazon's conference call. We're monitoring all the big movers in the after-hour session. We've got you covered throughout this hour. Plus, the China factor is back. We just heard about Intel's China problems. Check out shares of 3M. That stock getting slammed after cutting jobs, slashing its 2019 outlook. Is it a warning for the rest of the market? And later, Pinterest soaring today, now up more than 50% from its IPO price. Early investor Rick Heitzman will join us to tell us what is next for this hot IPO. We're live from Times Square in New York City. Much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert on Starbucks, seeing a bit of a reversal after hours. Kate Rogers back at headquarters with Wall Street's reaction to the results. Hey, Kate. Hey there, Melissa. Starbucks with a pretty strong Q2 here. EPS, a nice beat. Revenues basically right in line and also strong comps across the board. Global comps up 3%. America's up 4%. China, Asia, Pacific region up by 2%. And in China in particular, that all-important market up 3%. U.S. comps are now up 4% for the past three quarters in a row. The company's been 
benefiting from in-store execution, beverage growth, and also customer engagement. Remember, they've moved a lot of remedial tasks to after hours so that their baristas can now interact with customers even more. I spoke to Bob Darrington of Telsey, and he says the same store sales numbers across the board were very strong. He added that China was reassuring given how competitive we've heard that region is becoming. Remember, Starbucks' main competitor there, Luckin, is looking to IPO in the U.S. and plans to surpass Starbucks in terms of the number of locations it has in China this year. The company also raised its EPS guidance for 2019, which Darrington says shows the company believes these positive trends are going to continue. Starbucks rewards also grew to 16.8 million active members in the U.S. The call, as we all know, underway right now. And we'll also hear from Kevin Johnson, the CEO, tomorrow morning on Squawk on the Street to break all of this down at 9 a.m. Eastern. And also sticking with food here, Grubhub beat on the top and bottom lines for Q1. The company also reporting more active diners at 19.29 million compared to 18.5 million that were estimated. That stock is also higher here in the after hours trade by about 5%. Alyssa, back over to you. Kate, thank you. Kate Rogers, Starbucks was trading at all-time highs before this reversal. Um, what do you make of the move, Guy? Valuation. I think that's what I'm making. The quarter's fine. She said they were, Kate said they raised guidance. They did, but they beat by four cents. They raised by maybe six cents. So it's not a huge raise in terms of where they are for the full year. Margins hung in there. Comps were good. Asia comps were good. Everything was very good. But then you look at it at almost 23 and a half times forward earnings to say, does it deserve that valuation in this environment? I think that's why it's selling off. So, you know, for me, this is one of these ones that, that I, I've just stayed with despite the valuation. And I, I think. Starbucks has proven that they've got pricing power. Uh, they're, they're holding on to margins, and when they get the same store sales comp beats in North America, and you start to hear that the China business is showing resiliency, again, crazy. I mean, China's all over the map, depending on the company you talk to. Yeah. Um, and, and I think in the food space, we've clearly seen it is much more resilient. Um, I, I think if you look at the multiples that are being paid for in this space or in fast casual, um, I, I can't compare it to Chipotle, but it, it's clear that if you have a company that's growing the top line and continuing to show pricing power, they are being rewarded and Starbucks is that. Dude, you're not worried about Belt and Road and Coffee Bean? I mean, when you hear Luckin say that they're going to have more stores in China than Starbucks at some point, you say to yourself that, you know, this this major growth area that we know U.S. consumer-oriented companies have had this amazingly hard time getting into China and to have that sort of formidable competitor at a time where they're increasingly competitive with us, that seems to me like a problem. That seems to be a massive headwind for their China business. Yeah, simply, they said, we're, we're doing re- remarkably well considering the competition Petition and, and I think that that's what I would be listening to. All right. For more on Starbucks and its record run this year, head on over to tradingnation.cnbc.com. Coming up, check out where we stand with all the big after-hours movers. Ford soaring. Intel is down sharply. Amazon's volatile as we await the start of that call in just about five minutes' time. We'll bring you the very latest. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC. First in business worldwide. Fast Money's back in two minutes. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert on Ford soaring after hours of 8%. Philip Bowes in Chicago with the very latest. Hey, Phil. Hey, Melissa. If they can hold these gains tomorrow and close above $10, that's a level that Ford shares have not seen since August of last year. So what worked in the first quarter for Ford? Well, North America continues to be the main story here. They made $2.2 billion in North America in the first quarter. That's Remember, they're transitioning towards more SUVs, and they already are strong in trucks. They're trying to push that lever even harder. Also, when you take a look at Ford's credit, that division 
earnings up 24% in the first quarter. So Ford Motor Credit had a huge quarter for Ford. And then the China business is improving. Here is CFO Bob Shanks talking with us about what he sees in China for Ford. The Chinese economy seems to be stabilizing. We saw on an industry level the SAR about flat on a year-over-year -year basis. Uh, the government has already announced some things that they're going to do, for example, a reduction in VAT to stimulate uh, the broader economy, but also our sector. And there's uh, rumors that they're going to do more. So the government recognizes the importance of this particular sector, uh, and it's possible that they'll give us uh, a bit of help and stimulation as the year progresses. Uh, but overall, I think we're seeing uh, a more stable environment than perhaps where we were a few months ago. Two other notes, Melissa. First of all, Ford affirming that it expects to keep its dividend at 15 cents a share for the remainder of this year. And the conference call, which starts in a couple of minutes, that'll be key because I think analysts want to hear what the tenor and tone is from CEO Jim Hackett. Some of the past calls, he's been very vague in terms of where the company is headed and how the turnaround is taking hold. Let's see what he has to say to the analysts about the first quarter and going into the second and third quarter with the turnaround. Yep. Phil, thank you. Phil LeBeau in Chicago with the latest on Ford. We should note the GM is trading higher by 2% in the after-hour session. But Ford focusing on that, that's telling a whole different story than a lot of other companies reporting today when it comes to China. Intel CEO, for instance, we told you moments ago, saying that the company is seeing a dramatic slowdown in China. That stock's down around 8% after hours. Meantime, industrial giant 3M posting its worst day in more than three decades, since Black Monday, 1987, in fact, wiping out all of its gains for the year after the company slashed its 2019 guidance, announced plans to lay off 2,000 workers, the company citing weakness in areas like China. 3M shaving 200 points off the Dow today. So who's telling the real story behind global growth when it comes to these stocks? I would submit it's 3M. I, I mean, you're talking about it. Well, I, I, that would be my view. I mean, you can talk about the consumer. I mean, I never underestimate any consumer around the world's want to spend money. Doesn't mean they should be. When you look at a company like 3M with that kind of with that kind of quarter, it makes you have, you have to ask yourself, what are they seeing? What's really going on? So, in my opinion, 3M tells the real story. I I think both can be the real story, right? We talk about different consumers in True. China. Whether right. 3M, some of the some of it was self-inflicted, but as it relates to Ford, I mean, good for them. I'd much rather, and I do own GM. GM Finance, that'll be good for them. GM doesn't have Europe, which has weighed on Ford. GM does have a big North America business. It does have a better balance sheet. And the valuation's more attractive. <laughs> but Ambassador, when you and take China a look at China, business. we see that the turn in the data that, that we have seen recently, which companies do you think tell a better story? Um, I, I think the industrial companies have a cyclical issue. I think the tech companies have a strategic uh, political issue. And, and I, I, there's no question to me that made in China is an issue for all the big U.S. Uh, tech companies. I think you think about Ford, you think about GM, they've been very successful in terms of partnerships in China. So uh, I'm not surprised to hear that that still works. In fact, on the industrial side, I think there's a big, warm uh, dynamic between U.S. companies and China. Uh, when I think about Ford, by the way, the fact that Ford Motor Credit is a driver for earnings, that doesn't make me excited at all, because that, that is a business that could turn on you in a hurry, and if you're worried about the credit cycle um, or somewhere around the corner, that's a problem. The Rivian investment is something else that people like to talk about with Ford, because it gets them into that EV. They're lagging their peers. They're lagging GM, but that adds multiple to this stock. Uh, you know, I listen to these companies whose stocks are down 10% on, on bad results, and they're blaming China, and I'll tell you why, because we know what's happened for those green shoots, for that turn in the Chinese data. When you look at the credit expansion, you look at everything that China has thrown at it. You look at the change of our Fed. You look at what your 
Europe's done. We went from global tightening to global easing in like a six-month period. So the fact is that they've, yes, the data is going to look less bad, okay? But these companies did are you still... Did use the term green shoots? Guy, did you catch that, by the way? Yeah, I, I did. did. He's allowed to that? in that context. I hate that. He said I it in a derogatory just, way. Yes. He wasn't <laughs> just listening In a here. snarky way, okay? Yes. My yeah. point is, is that I think we're going to see so more reactions like this when people are honest about what's actually going on. All right, we should note the 3M CEO, Mike Roman, will be on Mad Money on Monday to talk about the quarter. That's again Monday, 6 p.m. Eastern Time. Well, it's another busy night for earnings. Check out some of the big movers. Amazon is uh, jumping right now. It is actually down by four-tenths of a percent. Starbucks hitting an after-hours high. Then there's Intel getting crushed. Uh, we will bring you the very latest on all of those stocks. Plus, Pinterest soaring more than 50% from its IPO just last week. Early investor Rick Heitzman says the rally is just getting started. He'll be here for his first interview since a Pinterest public debut. Much more fast. Still ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. As the tech unicorn stampede continues, Pinterest is leading the pack this week, soaring more than 50% since its IPO. Joining us now is one of the social stock's earliest investors. Let's bring in Rick Heitzman, managing director at First Mark Capital, an early investor in Pinterest. Rick, you've got to be a happy guy. I'm happy. I'm happy. I'm happy. <laughs> Thanks for having me back. I think they, you know, the company's done well. I think you know, contra- uh, different from a lot of the IPOs out there right now, especially on the consumer side, Pinterest really had a unique positioning and was really driving value both for the pinners and the advertisers. So uh, people are realizing that. How should we think about Pinterest in, in relationship to some of the comps uh, that were brought up during the road show, the mm-hmm. likes of Facebook, et cetera? I mean, are they, are they truly competing or is there some sort of frenemy aspect to all of this? Probably both. So they are taking share largely from TV and digital is still such a small percentage of media spend that even all the shift is still coming off those massive icebergs to digital. But even within that, Pinterest has kind of carved out a position where they operate at both the awareness part of the funnel as well as the last click. So they're able to compete both with uh, broad-based you know, ad networks as well as things like AdWords, which have a very discreet return on investment for advertisers. Well, in terms of the ad spend pie, now that mm-hmm. Pinterest, publicly traded company, very mature company, by the way, can, it was clear with Facebook's report that advertisers didn't leave because they have no place to go, it seems mm-hmm. to me. They'd like to leave, I think, but they have nowhere to go. To Mel's question, is Pinterest a destination for them? It is a destination. If you think about it, about 85% of the spend is either in Google or Facebook for digital. So as advertisers are flowing out of traditional media towards digital media, they're looking for alternatives besides just Facebook and Google. And Pinterest and Snap are the big alternatives. So, Rick, let's go back two years now when Snap came out, right? It was a few years after Twitter and after yep. Facebook. You could have made the same argument about this niche area and, and the kind of yep. this moat that Snap had around this. What's different, though? Because, you know, Snap really, it's had the growth in sales, but it's had commensurate losses, I mean, massive losses. You guys are, are, are almost profitable. Yes. So there's probably three things that are different. I think Snap was kind of a reach network, trying to be media, trying to get people to engage, whereas Pinterest is focused on deep engagement. So they're really looking at themselves as an intent engine. You want to find something to have for dinner. You're looking for a new bathing suit for summer. You're trying to redo your house. So that's real engagement that's easier to monetize and has a higher return on advertising spend than broad-based media of sharing videos or pictures with your friend. And therefore, Pinterest is a about the same scale if you look at gross margin as Snap, but obviously much more capital efficient and is able to drive greater profitability just because the value of that user is that much greater. 
Karen? Where is Pinterest on ad load and, and how much room do you guys have? Well, it depends on it depends on how you think about ad load. I would say compared to interstitials or people having interruptive advertising that you might see at a takeover page on a normal website or how you might see it in some of the video sites, Pinterest ads are endemic. And a lot of the ads you see on Pinterest are beautiful and they're almost content in and of themselves. So although I don't think we're sharing the ad load numbers today, I don't think we've gotten pushback in the way that other folks have gotten where you're interrupting people's content consumption with something different. Rick, great to have you with us. Thank you. You've been talking about Pinterest with Rick for some time now, since 2013. November 2013. That's That's where we we all made them, so congratulations. Thank you. Thank you guys very much. Appreciate your help. Guy. What did I say? You're the only one. No, I have a Pinterest. I've had a Pinterest page since probably right around then. And my my page. What's on there? Spectacular. What's on? Why don't you take a look? Wise guy. I mean, I got Audrey Hepburn pictures. I got Leonard Skinner. It runs the gamut. And there it is. See more pictures. Weird. It's not weird. What's weird is you're not there. And the beams. What I'll say is this, 250 million members on its way to a billion, 60% revenue growth. Rick can speak to all this. This is a stock, and I said it when it came public. I think it continued to go higher. We've got a news alert coming out of the White House. Let's get to Eamon Javers for the very latest. Eamon. Yeah, hi, Melissa. We've got a little bit of a minor mystery here at the White House because the president was just speaking to a group of children who were here for Take Your Children to Work Day, and he said at that event that President Xi Jinping of China will soon be coming to the White House. It made a lot of observers think that the president was talking about some sort of end game here for the China trade negotiations that have been ongoing for a while. There's been some question about when and where the two leaders might meet to sign any kind of trade deal that might emerge from that process. That process we know is ongoing. White House aides, though, were surprised that the president said that and tell me uh, that they have nothing to announce uh, in terms of a visit from President Xi Jinping to the White House. First of all, listen to what the president just said just a couple minutes ago. Here it is. Welcome foreign leaders on American soil. We have Prime Minister Abe of Japan coming tomorrow. It'll be a very important meeting. We will soon be having President Xi from China coming. We have many, many of the leaders, ultimately all of the great leaders come here. They are reporting, your parents, on our country, and that's the White House press corps. They report. They let you know how we're doing. And oftentimes, they report correctly. <laughs> so there you hear the president saying that Xi Jinping will soon be coming here to the White House. Uh, but as I say, aides uh, don't know anything about that or at least aren't willing to talk about it. So uh-huh. we have the two possibilities here, Melissa. One is that the president uh, was sort of overly enthusiastic in talking about all the different world leaders who've come here and there are no plans for uh-huh. Xi Jinping to come. Uh, or two, uh, that there are plans to, for Xi Jinping uh, to come here to the White House and the president wasn't supposed to talk about it yet and it's not, we're not ready for a prime time consumption just yet. White House aides will just say that there's nothing <laughs> to announce right now. I wonder if it's a surprise to President Xi. (laughs) (laughs) But there are a couple of trips that are planned. I mean, it it would seem like even if a trip were to happen, this would be at least a month from now or so, because 
Mnuchin Lighthizer still have to go to China next week, and then Vice Premier Liu is going to come to D.C. the week afterwards. That's right. That's right. And they've announced those publicly, and those are backed up by staff and aides when you talk to them, <laughs> uh, that Liu He will be here uh, in Washington. Now, uh, will Xi Jinping come with Liu He to, on that trip uh, in two weeks? That's certainly a possibility. We just don't know at this point. Right. Uh, and the White House is not offering any detail about what exactly the president meant here. It's quite a take-your-kids-to-work day at the White House <laughs> Yeah, that's today. right. We'll see whether they had one in Beijing today or not. Yeah. Thank you, Eamon Javers, at the White House. I don't know. At CNBC, they had face painting and pizza, but <laughs> the White House, fun. I guess, is different. What do you make of these comments? Well, it's almost shocking that the market has, has moved on without even having a deal. And it, and it feels like this is a reminder that we don't have a deal. Um, and... and, and uh, in a world where China, we spent so much talking about them on this show, I actually think that the biggest issue for the markets are the Fed. I don't want to change the gears. But the most important thing right now is that Fed meeting next week in a market that thinks they have no Fed in front of them and stronger data in the U.S. that I think could give them that. I don't think China's the issue right now. Seems like a foregone conclusion that there is going to be a deal in the next six months or so. That's what I'm sure everybody would like us to believe. I mean, this has been March of last year, and we've been promised a deal since the fall, and here we are. I personally, I mean, not that I'm privy to the talks, but I'm, I don't think we're any closer now than we were six months ago. They can say everything they want. Until there's a deal, there's no deal. All right. We were just talking about the IPO pipeline and IPOs. We've got a news alert here on Slack. It is gearing up for its public debut. Deirdre Bose is in San Francisco with more. Deirdre. Hey, Melissa. Well, ahead of that public offering, which is expected to be a direct listing, Slack is being valued at nearly $17 billion on the secondary market. Forge Global, a firm that matches private companies and their employees with investors, tells me that Slack shares are selling at a price as high as $28 a share, and that would imply a valuation of nearly $17 billion. Keep in mind, its last private market round put its value at $7.1 billion. So that is a huge jump. Now, the excitement around Slack, it makes sense. Remember, this is a cloud-based messaging software, and cloud stocks have been on a tear. Also, remember how Zoom was received. Slack is often compared to Zoom because both have gained viral adoption among teams within companies, despite big tech companies trying to also get into this space. Melissa? All right, Deidre, thank you. Deidre Bosa in San Francisco on Slack. We should know that Comcast Ventures is an investor in Slack. Uh, Dan, this is direct listing, so it's more akin to a Spotify. Really interesting. So you know where Spotify closed today? right at its reference point almost a year ago when it had a direct listing. So, you know, it's interesting. It'll be, you know, we've seen some great performance of some of these uh, IPOs of late. Um, you know, when you don't have all that support from all those underwriters, sometimes it could be a, a different thing. So it'll be very interesting to see how this one plays out. But I think the most important thing is how unique of a company this is and the growth that they have um, and just the enterprise adoption that they've had. So to me, I expect this thing to do fine. Well, it's interesting that social media, again, now has a new entrant, and this is at least um, offering an alternative to some of the legacy players. And frankly, if you look at the valuations that are out there, um, you're somewhere in between a Facebook and, and, and you, know, you start to get into Twitter and some of those territories. So I, I think the valuation is acceptable at this implied valuation at this point. All right, let's get a check on some of the earnings movers as we head to break forward. A soaring Intel is getting crushed. Amazon is volatile, but it is back in the green as the call gets underway about 15 minutes in right now. We'll bring you the very latest right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Intel sinking after its earnings report. Let's get to Josh Lipton in San Francisco. He's been on the call. Josh. Melissa, underlying trends are concerning. That is what Intel's Bob Swan is saying. Take a listen to what he's telling analysts on the call. 
Our conversations with customers and partners across our PC and data-centric businesses over the past couple months have made several trends clear. The decline in memory pricing has intensified. The data center inventory and capacity digestion that we described in January is more pronounced than we expected, and China headwinds have increased, leading to a more cautious IT spending environment. Now, Swan is saying demand uh, will improve in the second half, but they've reassessed, he says, 2019 expectations based on these challenges. So DCG uh, chips for servers, they now see that down mid-single digits year over year off this tough compare, continued China weakness and inventory absorption. I was just going back and forth with Stacy Rasgon from Bernstein Research. He points out that's big. Uh, it was supposed to be up mid-single as of just last quarter. Uh, Swan also saying they anticipate an incrementally more challenging NAND pricing environment says his PC-centric forecast remains unchanged at low single digits. For a lot more, uh, be sure to tune in tomorrow to CNBC Squawk Alley. We're going to have Bob Swan on to talk about these results as well as his outlook for the quarters ahead. Melissa, back to you. All right, Josh, thank you. Josh Lipton in San Francisco on Intel, which is down more than 8% right now. Um, Dan, what do you make of this I think, so far? You know, listen, the, the stock started the year below 50, and I think a lot of investors were optimistic about a new CEO, uh, you know, about all these yeah. kind of trends that, you know, PCs were better in 2018. That was a surprise. Data center was really good. So I think there was a lot of things that were supposed to go really well for these guys. Um, and then all of a sudden, you know, you have a, a bomb like this. And I know Tim's going to say it's not a bomb. They should have done this in January. They should have been more conservative in January, is my take. But maybe they think Unless they didn't near know. Eight, Right, the business uh, deteriorated. Unless, Okay. Which is but maybe even worse. I will just mention right. that, that. Remember this company? They used to do big quarter cup updates two, two months into it, that sort of thing. Yeah. And I think the semis only have to get back to that in some way. I think the stock down 8%. It should be down. I mean, this is that's a pretty significant part of the whole story now yeah. that is really being called into question. Maybe he's being overly conservative. I don't know. But it should be down this much. All right. Still ahead, Amazon ticking higher as the conference call kicks off. We'll tell you what is investors getting bullish when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Amazon shares higher after hours. This company conference call is going on right now. Let's get to Debosa for the details. Deidre. Melissa, the stock now moving higher in the after hours, despite guidance falling short. Um, on the call, right at the top, Brian Osowski mentioned that Amazon will be spending a lot this year. And part of that is on one-day shipping. So investors reacting well to that. Have a listen. Now, turning uh, uh, into Q2, um, I would like to tell you uh, a bit about uh, why that's lower. So we have, uh, we're currently working on evolving our uh, prime free two-day shipping program to be a uh, free one-day shipping program. Uh, we're able to do this because we've spent 20-plus years expanding our fulfillment and logistics network. But this is still a big investment and a lot of work to do uh, ahead of us. Uh, for Q2 guidance, uh, we've included approximately $800 million of incremental spend related to this investment. So, Melissa, it seems that investors are willing to stomach slower growth and higher spending because profits are rising. And I guess I also think that Amazon, by spending, will continue to take more market. Back to you. Deidre, thank you. Deidre Bosa, let's get back to Gene Munster. Gene, um, you had a pretty bold prediction before this conference call kicked off. Uh, we are getting more spending. Stock is up, though. So what do you make of it so far? So, Melissa, I want to break this spending down quickly in two pieces. The company reiterated, uh, they talked about what they had said last quarter and said, we're making good on that promise. 
We're going to invest a lot over the next uh, three quarters. And so that was uh, in some ways expected, but it was uh, directionally a little bit negative, like we had talked about going into it. And then they pulled uh, what Deirdre talked about uh, really out of the hat about this shift to one-day shipping. And i got to say, that is an impressive move by Amazon, really capitalizing on their logistics power. I would almost think about this as like a boot on the throat of traditional retailers. If I was a retailer, I would not want to hear what Amazon just said. And I want to put that into perspective, going from two to one day, free shipping. They're going to double the availability of that across the U.S. Uh, that, what that means is that ultimately is earnings are going down, but you're going to see a reacceleration of unit growth. The delivery times, free delivery times in particular, are a powerful impact in terms of how consumers think. Yep. Gene, what's your grade for the quarter on Amazon? Uh, I'm going to give it a B as in uh, Bravo, and uh, uh, we'll see what happens with that unit growth number in the June quarter. All right. Gene, thank you. Always great to see you. Gene Munster of Loop Ventures. Thank you. How do we trade this? B from Gene. (laughs) Guy. B. I mean, that's a standard grade. It's like standard meh. guy. It's a mech grade. Right. I do <laughs> think you sell. I think you. you sell the stock here. I still think you sell the stock here. By the yeah. way, on the grading process, I mean, what? if you grade the quarter in reverse or that quarter, you get one grade. But if we're talking about guidance, I mean, should we be penalizing the company on their grade for the last quarter if the guidance is bad? Well, I'm asking the question. He said, "Let's see what the unit growth is in the June quarter," and they're doing this into a seasonally weak period. So, to me, you know, Bravo with the stock up here. Why not? Up next, final trades. Tim Seymour. Yeah, how about those numbers out of Starbucks? Not worried about this valuation. There you go. Karen Feinerman. Yes, I still like Anthem. It had a little bounce back, but I think there's still more room to run here. It was oversold. Danny. Uh, yes, yeah, semis. I think the highs are in for a while. The estimates are down 2% in the after hours. I wouldn't sell it there, but I'd sell it on rallies. There's an Guy. endodontist in New Jersey that watches this show religiously <laughs> with his assistant, Simi. I'm telling you, Dr. Really? Harut Barsimian. He's unbelievable. Handsome man, by the way. Very handsome. Great endodontist. Watching Is he the show. your endodontist? Amgen in earnings on April 30th, sister. <laughs> yeah. That does it for us. See you back here tomorrow at 5. More Fast Money Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now.